Hello and welcome to our second episode of Advisory Advantage, the podcast for accountants and business advisors who want to drill into the practical detail of how to market, sell and deliver business advisory. I'm MC Carter, founder of Practice Paradox, a digital marketing agency working globally with progressive accounting firms. And I'm aided and abetted again by my friend across the ditch. Richard Francis, CEO and founder of Spotlight Reporting and, and CA from way back, back in the day, cloud accountant. Um, and we're delighted, this is our second in our series, delighted to have Shaitaya from BDO, and I've had to write down the title, National Clout and Advisory Specialist. So huge welcome to Shay, who's become a little bit of a, uh, I don't like the phrase, but I'm going to use a, a bit of a rock star in cloud accounting in Australia. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, we have MC in a hotel room in San Francisco, is that right? No, I was in San Diego last week attending a digital marketing conference, and now I'm in LA. Nice. Los Angeles. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm here in Wellington. Shay, you're in... In Adelaide. Nice. So we get around us kind of uh, cloud accountancy types, don't we? So look, I'll let MC kick off. So Shay, thanks so much for you know uh, spending some time with Rich and I today. So why for you is business advisory important? What lights your fire about the business advisory space? Um, to me, it's a bit of survival, to be honest. We kind of, we, we have to love business advisory because it's the future. If we're accountants, that's, that's the future for us. Um, you know, we're not going to have forms to fill out anymore. Um, we're going to have all of our compliance work is going to be digital. So, you know, it's, it's going to transform. It's going to take the flavour of, you know, risk management and risk, you know, uh, mitigation which smells like advisory anyway so the whole thing all of the work that we do is going to turn into business advisory so you know it's important to me why do i like it It's because we have to do it we have to do the thing so that's no longer an optional extra in your view as it may have been to some firms say a decade a decade ago not at all not at all we have to be doing it um if um you know if yesterday's uh, report from zero is anything to go by, you know, the firms that are doing really well are the ones that are embracing it. And what will, what I think we'll see and hash, you know, hashtag not a futurist, but what I predict we'll see <laughs> is that um, <laughs> reports will, will start to tell us that in fact, those, those firms that aren't embracing it are declining rapidly. Um, that's just what I think. I'm I'm going to jump in on that answer because I don't think that I don't think you're telling us the whole answer there, and I say that because um, that's that's the angle we have to do it because you know the asteroid's coming and I'm looking up and I'm I'm going to be extinct. Um, why do you want to do it? Why do I want to do it? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I, I you, wouldn't why, be in accounting. I want to do it because I I want to help people. Um, I don't. Um, I know that doing a really good job at lodging forms with the ATO is incredibly important, but I don't really get anything out of it, to be honest. I don't personally get anything out of it. I like doing things that it doesn't matter if it's a big client, small client, whatever. It could be the smallest little thing that can change. It sounds really dramatic, but can change a person's life. For example, you've got, you know, um, old mate who's a plumber. He's, he's a plumber, he just has his van and he does plumbing. But all day Sunday, 
he mucks around with his books and his wife hates it. He misses out on time with his kids. So when we introduce things like cloud accounting, and that means that he doesn't have to do that anymore, that he can just do a bank rec on the lounge, you know, for five minutes, a couple of days a week, his life is changed. And mm. that's the reason why business advisor is exciting to me because you can actually change people's lives. Business is exciting, but at the end of the day, business is a thing that humans do and that, you know, affects people's lives. So that, that's what I love about it. That's cool. I mean, that, the reason I asked that was, you know, that's why I got into advisory, but, but back in the day, and I've had a few more sleeps than you, um, <laughs> I was kind of a bit weird, but now we're seeing your cohort of people coming into the profession expecting to be um, what I've called entrepreneur accountants. Do you mm. want to unpack that a little bit more about, and where do you see yourself going? Um, you're doing this great work, which is changing lives. I don't think, don't be, don't be afraid to say it's dramatic because it, it is changing lives, but where do you go with this? Cause you've actually got a huge palette and working for BDO Australia, you know, really large respected logo um, uh, accounting and advisory firm. Where do you take mm. this? So I was really challenged before I started working at BDO. I came out of um, commerce, came out of small business consulting and didn't want to go anywhere near practice because I, my perception of that, certainly the Adelaide market, was that, that they wouldn't have an appetite for people like me. They wouldn't have an appetite for, you know, a senior person coming in wanting to work with clients that doesn't want to do tax and I'm definitely not particularly good at tax. So they wouldn't have any use for me because they weren't up to the point where they realised that we actually, you know, this is, well, I, I thought it was valuable. I know it's valuable now, but at the time it wasn't, you know, perceived as valuable. Where do I want to go with it? I'm not 100% sure. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. So lots of my role is about um, bringing uh, my colleagues along on the journey, um, educating them about the journey, <laughs> um, I guess, just moving away some of the, the noise and actually letting them see the path that's in, in front of them in terms of how successful they can be, how much of the boring bits they can put down, how much of the cool mm. stuff they can do. And I'm, I'm actually getting a lot of, I'm getting a lot out of that. You know, it's the same reason I've got, you know, um, and age is irrelevant, but, you know, that I've got, you know, the younger group around me that are going, I actually really love this stuff. This is, I didn't realise this is what it was going to be like when I mm. came into accounting. I thought it would be a little bit boring, but, you know, it's good. It's got good career and Dad said it was going to be good for me when I went <laughs> to uni and yada, yada. Um, but they actually are really excited about what they're doing. So they're, you know, learning things, applying them every day and then every day is more exciting. And that, like, I'm a mum, right? So I get the, the mum effect. I'm like, oh, this is so cute. This is awesome. But I just love seeing them develop. I love seeing them having the opportunities that I never had, you know, because I grew up in a traditional firm, got out of there at light speed because I knew it wasn't for me. Um, yeah, so that's um, probably doesn't answer your question, but that's what I'm enjoying about this role at the moment. And Shay, that's the, the younger cohort. What about some of the older cohort, any challenges there, bringing them along to moving more into the cloud-enabled advisory space? Yeah, certainly. Um, and it's not, it's not an age thing. You know, it's a fear thing. I think change is scary for anyone at any age of any level of experience. But let's think about, you know, some of my colleagues have are absolute experts in their chosen field. They've been incredibly successful doing the thing, 
they know how to do really, really well. And we're coming along and saying, not that that's no good anymore, because of course it's still amazing, but it, it is of course incredibly challenging for them to start to digest. Maybe I have to do it a bit different. And it's something I've ne- maybe never done before, or, you know, I don't feel like I've got the skill set for that, for that. And Again, it's not necessarily an age thing because we have, you know, a huge number of staff across the country and all sorts of, you know, very, very diverse and we see challenges at every level. Um, We've got partners that are, you know, if you drew a picture of them, you would say, oh, no, we're going to have trouble with this guy, this person. But they embrace it and they love it. They kick goals and we use them internally, you know, as those as case studies and say, you know, if, if, if old mate can do it, then, then everyone can do it because we never expected that to come from that pocket, but we did and have a look at how awesome it's going. Um, similarly, we do, we do rely on, you know, our, our millennials to, to kick lots of goals, to get really excited about things and to tell everyone because they're so good at telling everyone about how good they are, which is awesome. <laughs> um, and to sort of influence up, do you know what I mean? So there's more staff than there are partners and senior people. So I think using that sort of collective influence, um, it's almost like peer pressure at high school, but in a really positive way. So they're sort of influencing and showing, you know, their, um, you know, their managers and their partners what can actually be achieved with clients and how good it makes you feel. I think they're, you know, they're good at, you know, articulating how it makes them feel and that that's a cool thing. So Shay, what might be some examples of, what does that look like when they're influencing up? What are some examples you can think of of things that they're showing and telling, so to speak, to influence up? Yeah, so we had an example um, out of Brisbane recently where um, I can't remember, I don't even know what the title, his title was or whatever is irrelevant, but quite a, quite a younger guy just um, was working with one of his clients and I think it was in a particular industry that he loves. I can't remember exactly what it was, so I apologise, but um, let's just pretend he was a rev head and he loved motorsport. So we'll pretend that is because I don't know what the detail was. But he just used to have lots and lots of open conversations with his client like you would um, if you were in sales or you're a BDM or just, just, you know, if you were having a chat with your mates, basically, he used to spend a lot of time chatting with his client because he just loved hearing about the goss in this particular business because he just loved it generally. And what came out of that was opportunities. I know it's not rocket science, but hallelujah, all these things kept popping up in conversation. And he was thinking, well, I can help you with that and I can help you with that. That wasn't the point of the conversation but it came up in conversation. So when we walked through how some of these, um, you know, how some of these uh, bits of service were delivered, so how we got to where we are now, people were quite surprised that it wasn't a hard thing. It wasn't like we were saying, do a handstand, then a cartwheel, and then your client will be impressed. It was just having a chat. It was just being open and listening and things that we do all the time, naturally, um, and that things sort of organically grew out of that. And I think that was such, I was so excited about that example. I was like, yes, that's a piece of gold. We've got to tell everybody about that. But great, I think. It's a great point, isn't it? That it's humans connecting mm, with humans. So you use correct. that as an actual 
live kind of case study to show, hey, if Jim in Brisbane can do it, anyone mm. else can do it? Was that? We did. And you will like this one, um, Richard, because it did have spotlight reporting in it. Um, and we did a little video <laughs> and we did some screen grabs and, you know, did the before and after of, you know, how good the CFO feels because he can see all this stuff and it's nice and clean and da 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 da, yeah. which was so good. I don't mean to gloss over it. I think it's awesome. But we did that. But we also did the the touchy feely stuff we did how did we mm. actually get there how did the two humans connect it's like a love story isn't it how did that thing happen yeah. and then bloom into this you know awesome which at the end of the day is service delivery and fees but how do we get there and what does it mean and what do those the, steps the, the look like thing. oh sorry you sorry, sorry. i was just going to say the interesting thing with the humans connecting with humans it's something we we do talk about a lot um at spotlight but you know, you're in a you're in a really large organisation. So I know everyone's name um, here, and even when I worked at PDO way, way, way back, um, you know, there was a hundred people, so we kind of knew each other. You're dealing with a national network, and I suppose there's lots of people who are in large organisations or even smaller ones in PDO and thinking, um, I want to be that change maker. So you've given mm-hmm. us a really good example of you know plucking a, a, an internal case study. Uh, you know, from from within your organisation to share. But what what other things have you done to make sure that not only is the technology that can empower all of this, um, whether it's zero or Spotlight or whatever else you're using, um, mm-hmm. you know, can be deployed really well. But the soft skills, and I know MC will, will love to jump in on this one soon, um, around marketing and selling, and how do you, how do you get those happening properly at scale? Yeah, um, we uh, have a lot of room and a lot of opportunity to improve that area of what we do. Um, And to be honest, it's the most challenging because it puts people outside of their comfort zone. So Mm. we're asking, you know, accountants who are very, very familiar with the front of their computer and the side of their desk to leave said office, Mm. you know, front up to a cafe or a workplace or whatever and um you know hold an engaging conversation it can be quite challenging this is not something that that they're used to and look we are in the process of developing some you know some structured frameworks around this but at the moment what we are trying to tap into is a bit more is a little bit more organic so it's using that mentoring concept we know some of the partners that do it really well we know some of the managers that do it really well so we you know work with them to make sure that they've got enough capacity to mentor anyone that wants to be mentored at this stage so let's you know let's focus on the people who are engaged to begin with and we of course bring everybody along but let's you know make some winners out of that group to start with um but i I'm, i don't know what the answer is you know i think there is a there is a place for structured training. There's certainly a place for you know learning about how to close a deal and not be a robot and things like that. But I'm just not sure yet what that looks like. Um, we've got a lot of uh, big chunks of challenge that we're working through internally at the moment in terms of getting all of this, all all of like delivering all of the things that our accountants need to be able to to be really successful in um, business advisory. Um, And we can't do it all at once. So that's why I'm a bit vague on that one. 
Shay, what do you think of the concept of, let's say, out of every 10 accountants who are in an advisory role, out of every 10 who may have come in because they are highly analytical and intelligent and good at the computational, logical side of things, out of every 10, how many do you think, whether that's in BDO or the profession as a whole, are actually naturally suited to an advisory role, to have these chats, to uncover these pain points and aspirations with clients? What number would you put on that? Um, it wouldn't be more than 50%. Like I do acknowledge that it's not for everyone. We, um, If anyone looked at my Myers-Briggs, you'd be very confused because I'm actually quite introverted. <laughs> um, mm. Not that you'd know that, but um, I think it just doesn't suit some people. And, you know, my mum makes fun of me and wonders why she sent me to private school when sometimes one plus one equals five, um, according to Shay's maths. So, you know, everyone's got their, their different skill sets. I think, mm. you know, let's just say at the moment there might be 30% who, you know, that's their sweet spot. They could do no, no numbers ever. They could do all the client facing stuff and they'd absolutely be amazing at it. And then they have their team that, you know, crunch the numbers and do the, you know, do, do the preparation of everything. I think there's another 30 to 40% that can definitely be taught how to do that and can mm -hmm. learn and can develop those skills. Mm -hmm. Perhaps like, like I have, um, it's not certainly not a natural inclination for me. And then we've got the rest. And like I said, I can't add up. So let's just call it the rest um, <laughs> that it's just not for them. And we're mm -hmm. always going to need those people. We're always right. going to need those people that are awesome at making the numbers work and, and telling us, you know, telling us what they mean, identifying mm -hmm. errors, awesome attention to detail, all that sort of stuff. So I think there's a, a place for all of those type of people in our Someone has to do checks and audit, don't they? Mm. So. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's a bit like, um, to use an analogy, it's like a football team, you know. You need a spread across the field and everyone has different roles. So I'm really interested to hear that view, Shay, because uh, I think, my experience in working with lots of firms around the world would be um, close to what you're reflecting there. Let's say roughly a third just natural at it. Um, another third yep. could be trained to do it and the other third let them do what they're doing. But I think the big mistake that a lot of coaches and consultants to the accounting profession over the years, they've downplayed the importance of those analytical skills. They just try getting them wrong. Like they're mm -hmm. crucial skills, but what I say to firms is put two ladders in terms of career ladders up against the wall, have an advice, whatever yeah. you want to call them, have an advisory track, yeah. have a technical track. And that way people mm. can actually go, Oh, thankfully I can just stick on this technical track, keep crunching, grinding. I love doing that. And that's an incredibly valuable role. Yep. And then there's no ambiguity. I think, yep. are you a forward or are you a back? You know, both are equally valid. For mm. both. I know plenty of backs that think they're, they rule the team. Forwards. <laughs> I think that's a great point. And I think that's one of the, one of the um, sad things about perhaps where we're at at the moment is we have this mishmash of people developing and some get to a point where they, you know, the role sort of develop over time. So you get to a senior manager and you're expected to, so you start as a grad, you're expected to be a good doer. You're an accountant, you're expected to be a good doer. You're a manager, you're expected to talk to clients all of a sudden. 
holy schmoly, how do I do that? You're a mm-hmm. senior manager. You're expected to know how to manage a team properly. You're expected to know how to do performance reviews, all that sort of stuff. You get to whatever's between that and the partner, and all of a sudden you have to learn this thing called BD. What the heck is BD? How do I do that? And how, is, how am I supposed to have learnt that? So I think you're dead right. There needs to be two streams and because each of the roles are equally valuable in their own way. You can't have one without the other. Um, and until we start to recognise that, then people are going to be frustrated or and or we're going to be promoting people on the incorrect set of skills, if you get my drift. I do. I think, you know, one of the wisest things I've ever heard is build on people's strengths. Don't try to shore up their weaknesses because we've all got natural yep. strengths. Let's just build on those and mm. not try to turn yeah. everyone into an all-rounder because not everyone is. Shay, given this problem, um, you know, you have of this of this mishmash, as you called it, um, how, and, and all accounting firms pretty much would have the same issue unless they've been amazing at who they hire and how they hire. But how mm. do you... How do you train differently, um, but also in a firm like yours, really busy, um, high profile and all that, how do, you, how do you free up the time and capacity to really unearth the advisory opportunity and not be just another accounting firm doing 85% compliance with advisory as the icing on the cake? What's changing? Yeah, yeah so, you know, we... These are all things we're exploring. So we we definitely are traditional in our structure, you know, exactly like I just described, you get to manage, you Mm -hmm. get to senior manager, blah, blah, blah. Um, Our, what has changed probably in the last couple of years is about, and the guys from New Zealand actually talk about it a lot. So we have secondees that come over from BDO New Zealand all the time. And, and one of those, my favourite one, favourite one in the whole world, he's awesome, Andy McDonnell talks about two to a tackle, which means, it, what it means is you go, you never go to a client meeting by yourself. You always take someone. If you're senior, do you take someone junior? Because you never get exposed to things above your level mm. unless you are exposed to things above your level. So the point of that is to let go of the scary write-offs and too much whip and blah, 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 invest in that, that sort of mentoring idea and take people along with you so that they can, if all they do is sit, look pretty and listen, then mm. you've still you've still gained something because the next time they might come back and have a debrief and contribute and then you'll expect them to contribute and that's how they develop. Um, that's something that we um, are embracing. Um, like I said, we don't... Um, we don't have, we've got a lot of opportunity to improve, you know, the overall structure. But as you can imagine, in a massive firm like ours, that's going to take some doing. But even that, though, Shay, is a huge shift. I, I can imagine a lot of partners chewing a wasp over having to take sidekicks out as part of their professional development. Is it is it rolling out across the one or two shiny button advisory partners, or is this a really big initiative across BDO? Without telling secrets, it's all just stay with between us obviously yeah no, look it's this is no like targeted campaign this is not like a national rollout or anything this is a concept that was introduced sort of um around august last year um in working a little bit more closely with andy from new zealand um yeah. and it is it, it, it's it's part of the the like you described those those shiny shiny partners and the guys that are succeeding at the moment it, it's about that and and 
that's I think that's fine. It's not about a pilot because I feel like a pilot can either keep going or stop, but I don't feel like this yeah. should stop or will stop. I feel like this is a demonstration of, you know, capability. This is a demonstration of, do you know what, doesn't actually affect my whip that much and I get heaps out of it because my team's now more useful. I can delegate easier because they're more mm. capable and I can identify earlier whether they're a doer or a talker you know, whether they're an advisor or they're an analytical person. So, so partners um, are definitely learning too as part of this process, which I think is really important. Of course, of course. It's equally important to bring partners along on the journey as it is, mm. as it is the staff. And can I say, what's your view? One of the things I'm passionate about is the accounting profession making a shift to attract the people people, attract the people that are the connectors mm. and who really do love. And even though it sounds like, hyperbole and a cliche, changing lives. But, you know, the people who really do want to make a difference, what's your view on how the accounting profession can attract more people, people? Mm, I think the accounting profession needs to do some thinking about how they reward those people. I think it's a fundamentally different role. I think um, we are still too time-obsessed Um you know, back when I was a finance manager in an accounting firm, how did we work out the salary for that guy we were going to hire? That's right. We worked out the charge out rate and then we times it out and went, okay, yep, that smells about right. Nothing to do with market, mm-hmm. nothing to do with value, nothing to do with how much fees, or, you know, what's, what's the level of fees they could bring in and what is the value of that to our business. So it's a very short-sighted, in my opinion, <laughs> it's a big opinion, um, very short-sighted way of showing a valuable person that they are valuable. So I feel like we have challenges in attracting those type of people. Now, to change that, we need to revisit how we do that. Um, I think there's more and more opportunity. I feel like if I went into market for that role that I was looking for two and a half, three years ago, that I probably would find it. But again, is that particular business ready? And I'm not saying to pay me a million dollars because that's not what I'm after, but is that, am I going to be recognised for that skill set? Am I going to be recognised as the one that does the high value work, that brings in fees, that does all of that stuff, which is hugely different? from what the roles look like at the moment. Yeah, it's so true that what gets measured gets rewarded. And, you know, I've seen it in firms over the years that talk the talk and we are going to be Mm -hmm. proactive and we are going to do value add. And then the staff tell us afterwards, I hate sitting through training because we're not allowed to go home until we put six hours on the clock and anything that takes me away from billing time, God, I hate that phrase, um, they they resent it because they're going to get mm-hmm. home later to their family. So it's all these mixed messages. Mm-hmm. In we, a lot of we, we have a guy working for us, um, guys who, who went over the fence from a large firm to join Spotlight, actually, and he, he uh, saw me at his, his regional office and he used Spotlight and it was like a special treat once or twice a year. He got to do a Spotlight for this particular client and the rest of the year he was in his little cubicle. And... and it's this real strange thing I'd like you to unpick for us a little bit, Shay, where a profession goes on and on about advisory. I go on and on about advisory. I love it. It's why I got into the profession and, and did what I did. Um, and YMC's there as well, trying to help us all do this. And all the surveys, the zero reports said 90% want to do it and the forecasting and budgeting. And what. 
why don't we do it? Why aren't we changing our business models? Why aren't we rewarding the people that actually bring in the high value, high caliber work who have a bit of charisma mm. and can talk to the customers as mm. much as the guy who can do a wonderful memo on tax? And you know what needs to change? Um, I know there's timesheets to throw out and all of that, but if you could break mm. the firm or the model and reassemble it, what would you do? Corporates and not corporates that smell like partnerships because let's be realistic, even if it is an accounting firm, it's still a partnership. It's still run like a partnership. Mm. Uh, my personal opinion is that um, that is, you know, a brilliant reward for, you know, people that come up through the business that want to aspire to be a partner. It's a fantastic accolade, something to be really, really proud of. And mm. by no means am I taking anything away from that. But I feel like some of the uh, nuances around that kind of structure limit the business. I, I would love mm. to run an accounting firm like a business. Do you know what I mean? You know, yeah. and, and when you sort of break some of that down, it's very challenging. We're talking about divvying up the pie a bit. We're talking about people who are not partners and haven't tipped in and all that sort of thing, maybe getting a bit more than just their salary because they've just brought in $500,000 worth of fees that the, the firm that, is going to benefit from. That's a company where you've got to give everyone shares. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not an expert in structuring, love it, love it. disclaimer, but I just feel like the frustrations the that, yeah, coming out of commerce back from practice into commerce back into practice, some of these things seem like no brainers. And for, the, you know, all of my colleagues that I work with that are brilliant with their clients and give lots of advice about running their businesses and structuring their businesses and they're very tax effective. But what does the rest of it look like? What does the governance look like? What does the engaged staff engagement look like? What does the culture look like? That's stuff that makes businesses really successful. And the, I guess the irony of it is trying something new might just make it more profitable. So that topic of change again. Correct. Mm. All about change. Some embrace it, some run from it. Let's flip it around, Shay, if we can, to for, for those listening to us now on the podcast, what are some of the, the quick wins for firms out there wanting to make the shift to doing more advisory work to their client, with their clients? What do you see as some of the quick wins, the low-hanging fruit for a firm to move towards that? Yep. Um, demonstrate capability for free. Don't service a client for free because that's silly, but demonstrate capability. So an example of that that we use is if we've got a compliance client, compliance-only client, we know there's a bunch of stuff we could do for them, but we've just got to get that foot in the door. We wrap up their tax work. We push their work into spotlight reporting, for example, and then we slip it into their pack. So when we're having that, uh, that meeting, that tax year-end meeting, I don't even know what it's called anymore, the thing you do after you do the compliance work, you can go, oh, and by the way, we, the other day we were talking about these couple of challenges you're having. Do you think something like this might help you and they go, oh, they're good you know, the numbers might not be perfect but it's not the point it's a demonstration of capability from there you can develop that into an engagement and then all of a sudden you have a monthly reporting engagement which is just gold um, 
What so, other tips have I So Shay, can, um, can I just ask a couple of questions within that? Where does, what are the steps between showing them a far better explanation of their, their, their lead and lag indicators using Spotlight, let's say, and mm-hmm. them becoming a paying uh, client on advisory with quarterly or monthly deliverables? How do you go from providing that as a value add and actually having them see that, well, that is worth X a month, let's say, and getting them mm-hmm. to sign on the dotted line. What do you see are the actual visible behaviours, so to speak, along that process? So I guess the, the first thing is obviously to get the client excited about what they've got in front of them. So you, we need to be careful that we're always linking the client's needs the challenges that they've articulated with us or that we've, you know, pressed them for with a thing we can deliver. It's not just about here's a thing we can do, here's a thing we can do, here's a thing we can do. This is something that's going to help you in your business. You know, hopefully some of those conversations you've had allows you to to perhaps quantify some of the effect of it. So you might say, okay, you wait till the 25th of the month to get information for last month, right? So month end is so slow that you don't get it till the third week of the month. What are you missing out on there? And they might be able to tell you. They might be able to say, well, I didn't know if we um, should have run that advertising campaign because I wasn't aware for last month and how that campaign went. So they had no information for three weeks to be able to do that. They've missed the boat. So they've missed a month effectively of sales because they couldn't make a decision. So what you might be able to do in there is quantify the value of that. So you can then say, well, we could do this. You're going to get it on the second day of the month. That's going to allow you to do X, Y, and Z. What's that worth to you? And they might quantify that themselves. And then, of course, you can quote your fee and it's going to be like everything great. Sorry, I'm not trying to gloss over it. Um, So one of the things they're using their show is contrast. They're seeing the potential upside of the growth, whether that's top line and or bottom line and then making the, mm-hmm. the monthly retainer, mm-hmm. let's say, um, look insignificant, relatively speaking. Cor- correct. Yeah. Either make it pay for itself or make it irrelevant. Make it so valuable that the price is irrelevant. What's been your experiences there, Richard, with getting the clients to see the value yeah, look, and put those numbers in front of them? Yeah, I think having, you know, you do have to have some process around that, but I think Shay's kind of hit the nail on the head, really, that, you know, I used to say when I was in practice, because um, we had, you know, $40,000, $50,000 a year clients, that you're only as good as your last meeting. You always have to show value. As soon as you act, smell, and talk like an accountant, um, you know, who's just a cruncher, up the road, yeah. value time, you have those conversations. So, so there's also thing that goes into that because, again, as Shay's alluded to, if you listen and ask the right questions, the client just about sells themselves. Um, and the next thing you know, they've asked for X, Y, and Z on your menu. And, uh, you know, you'd use practice ignition or some other tool to, to bundle it all up nicely, send it off, pen it the doc or something, get them to sign it, and you're away laughing, and the next thing you know, uh, you know, it's, it's actually easier than people think to move someone from 5,000 to 10,000 mm. to 20,000. It does mm. become a real art to get them further up the f- a few issues and things to sort mm. out. 
but we've just got to start trying. And um, I, I patience in a big firm to do that and to bring hundreds of people on the journey. I, I had to go small firm because I could just bully one or two people into doing what I wanted. Um, so you, can, you must be quite diplomatic, um, which is kind of cool. But of course, you can make a, a big impact in a big firm like BDO. So uh, hats off. Thanks. Sorry, one last pretty question. pretty scary some days, I've got to admit. Well, if you're not scaring yourself on a regular basis, you're really not trying, are you? Not stretching yourself. Touche, touche. Mm. So uh, my last question for you, Shay, is for someone listening to us right now, what's one mm -hmm. thing they could do differently starting today or tomorrow if they're listening to this tonight um, that would help them grow their non-compliance advisory? One thing they could do differently that maybe right now they might be doing as a typical firm, an old-fashioned firm. Old-fashioned firm. Yeah, one thing they could do. Different. I will make sure that you meet with every single one of your clients at least once a year. Don't send their tax return pack in the mail. Or if, no, I was going to say digitally, but if they're traditional, they're probably not doing that either. No. So... I make sure you meet them because when you meet people, you talk more, you can talk about the weather, you can talk about family, you can talk about business and opportunities come from conversation. So you need more chances to have conversation. Perfect. I That's love it. it. At the end of the day, it all comes down to the quality and frequency of meaningful conversations, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's Absolutely perfect. I think it's a great place to stop. We see we've had we're, we're finishing on a on a good bit of wisdom there because again we're circling back to humans connecting to humans, and if everyone just did that, the work will emerge, won't it? Um, so uh, I want to thank you, Shay, for giving us this time, sharing some of the insight. Uh, really interesting journey you're on um, as a, as a national cloud and advisory specialist at BDO, um, making a real name for yourself in the market um, as one of these kind of change makers, rain makers for, for your brand. So um, I think you've shared some, some really good stuff and really candid figures as well today. So a really big thank you from me. Thanks, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Shay.